Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Focal Point Podcast. My name is Mordecai, and I'm your host for this episode. Today, I'm joined by Alistair Elliott, Senior Partner and Group Chairman at Knight Frank LLP, which is a global real estate consultancy firm. How are you doing today, Alistair? Very well indeed, working from home, which I've become more accustomed to than I anticipated in the last 12 months, but I guess that's a... Uh, a club that many people are now members of, but I'm, I'm in good health. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me to join uh, your call today. Thank you for, for joining us. So I, I think to start, um, the question I'd like to ask you is, you know, for those who are unfamiliar with what the role of, of a senior partner and, and group chairman is, um, could you briefly describe what your role entails on a day-to-day -day basis? I'm sure there is no typical day-to-day, -day, but um, it'd be great if you could give some context. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, partnership structure is, is not necessarily as common in today's business world as it might have been in, in previous generations, but we are still structured as a private partnership, uh, effectively um, a business that is, that is owned by um, a group of self-employed partners at any one time. Uh, the partners change and evolve, and as we change and evolve, we hand the partnership over to uh, to our, our successors. Um, so we have uh, a model that, that emphasizes focus upon profitability and not incurring debt. Again, an unusual model in today's business world, but why it is crucial to us is that the debt can only ever be paid off by one group of people, uh, and that is our partners. So um, my role as a senior partner is to is to manage the partnership, effectively a, a CEO role by equivalent to other business structures. The, the, the term chairman has been adopted principally to give some clarification in our uh, global enterprises where, where the title senior partner is, it doesn't necessarily uh, chime and, and therefore particularly within our businesses in Asia, I, I'm, I'm just referred to as the group chairman. Uh, as you rightly say, there is no such thing as a as a typical day. Um, uh, as senior partner, I describe to people coming into the business that I try and um, I try and divide my time in to three different categories: um, dealing with, with uh, our teams uh, and the press, uh, sort of the PR side of the business. Uh, visiting our teams around the world virtually these days, but normally uh, actually, and engaging with the, the media in, in, in the broadest sense. Um, secondly, uh, and, and crucially to my mind, is retaining engagement with our clients here and around the world. We, we have a mixed business in the residential and commercial sectors. Commercial sectors dominate uh, our businesses outside of the UK. Residential is a big part uh, of the UK business, but I feel it is a, um, a key part of my role. And indeed, I find it an invigorating part of my role to spend a, about a third of my time with our clients, understanding what they're seeing in terms of market trends, understanding what their expectations are of our business, and then being able to impart that to our teams here and around the world. And then the third one is the one that sounds potentially most dull, and that is dealing with the stuff of managing a partnership. Uh, so budgets, costs, recruitment, which is exciting, uh, restructuring businesses when we go through a crisis like we've been through in the last 12, month, 12 months, which is, which is not uh, pleasant nor easy, 
but is a responsibility that, that the leaders of businesses like ours have to take on the chin. Um, so, so very crudely, um, that's how my time is split. My, my day starts very often because of the world clock dealing with our businesses um, in, in Asia and, and, and drifts around the world, depending upon how the clock goes and sometimes finishes up later in the day with, with, with uh, the Americas. And I think for my next question, uh, we've had a number of guests um, on the post podcast that have had very different career paths. So something that, that strikes me is that either people have moved around a lot or they have kind of stayed and grown and, and become part of a business's culture. So, you know, you have worked at Knight Frank for 39 years. Uh, and, you know, how is this journey for you? And, and what, a night, what about Knight Frank uh, made you want to stay there for so long? I would say that I didn't necessarily come from a typical property or Knight Frank background. When I started at Knight Frank in 1983, I was state educated. I went to Polytechnic. My, my academic credentials were far from exceptional, uh, but I found an opportunity to do some holiday work uh, at Knight Frank, um, which culminated in me getting a position on the Knight Frank graduate scheme in September 1983. And I'm sure like any 21-year-old, even 21-year-olds today, dare I say it, I wasn't thinking much further than, great, I've got a job. Um, and then seeing um, what uh, Knight Frank had to offer. I'd done a vocational degree, so I had done a degree in estate management. Um, but there is a big difference between a degree, degree in estate management and what you actually experience when you go into the to the real um, real estate or surveying world. Um, I, I never had my eyes on the residential side of the business. I was always thinking of the commercial side of the business. I, did, I, grew, I grew to love um, working in London and, and I, I, I grew to find real estate uh, and the people who operated within real estate um, invigorating for me. And, and, and I actually qualified as a charter surveyor um, a couple of years later and then became established in the office agency arena advising landlords and occupiers on um, either letting their office buildings or acquiring office buildings for occupiers and although i was based then at knight frank's head office which was in hanover square the majority of my time was actually spent um, in what, what was then known as the thames valley or the western corridor the area from sort of Hammersmith and Shepherd's Bush all the way down to to Bristol so towns like Reading, uh, Bracknell, Slough, Maidenhead, Swindon, Bristol that that was where I did the majority of my work uh, and, and and every every time I had a hesitation about Knight Frank and I either explored other opportunities or other opportunities on occasion came my way I, I really examined it on the basis that I was having a good time in real estate. I was having a great time at Knight Frank. So why change? And Knight Frank as an organization was one that I found, even though I wouldn't have described myself at the time as being particularly visionary, when I had an idea as to what I wanted to do, um, Knight Frank and the management at the time m might have asked why or how, but rarely said no. Uh, and for that reason, and we may come on to it, I explored a few other areas which gave me a broader horizon of Knight Frank, the world of real estate, which frankly is enormous. You know, people have preconceptions of real estate, but the world of real estate 
has a vast, vast spectrum. I was able to explore some of that, and that kept my my interest and focus in the firm. And and you know, the the, the longer I stayed, the more addicted I became to the firm. This brings me to to my next question: um, How has this year been for you? Um, because you know the the property market remained closed for about two months. You know, building sites closed temporarily as well. So you know, without a doubt, I'm sure that you know this year has been very turbulent and, and unprecedented. Um, so how did you kind of handle the turbulence that this year brought with it? I, I mentioned a moment ago that I took over running the UK commercial business in 2006. Shortly after that, from sort of mid-2007 onwards, I forget the dates completely, um, there was talk of a crisis in the American um, subprime market, uh, if effectively an overzealous mortgage community, which ended up lending loads of money and packaging it up on properties that either weren't worth the sums that were, 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 were attributed to them or, or were occupied by people who simply could not afford, afford the mortgage repayments. And, and I'm sure many of those listening have got some um, clear, clear views on that process. But, but the shockwaves of that and the financial crisis were, were, were uh, rippled around the world and were very deep. And as a consequence, we had to reshape our business really quickly because trading residentially and commercially stopped because the financial markets um, stopped. And that, that was a wake up call for me in management terms because I was a surveyor, I was an office agent, I was an advisor, I wasn't a business person. But because of the team we had around us at night, Frank, um, that crisis taught me uh, how to uh, how to shape a business as a consequence of a very aggressive shift in trading patterns. Our income can literally stop overnight. If people stop leasing offices or moving home, a great deal of our income, there's, there's valuation work and there's consultancy work, but a great deal of our income, and certainly the income where we make by any normal basis, greater margins, it can stop dead in its tracks. But we made a commitment then to do a number of things. And that was to shape the business so that it came out of the global financial crisis thriving and to ensure that we traded profitably every year for reasons that I mentioned at the beginning, that if we traded profit profitably, it would mean we would avoid debt and it would give us the, the ability to build a balance sheet. So. Although partnerships historically have generally made money and fully distributed it amongst partners, we, we decided actually just before the global financial crisis that we would build um, uh, a reserve. We would build our balance sheet. So, so we've spent the period through the global financial crisis and since then building a balance sheet to make us more, more agile and more robust when it comes to crises. So having gone through the financial crisis and the subsequent shockwaves, um, placed great emphasis upon building our business around the world because real estate is a global commodity, we may come back to that. When, when the next crisis occurred, anybody, which was the pandemic, we were in much better shape. We were in much better shape because we remembered the global financial crisis as though it was yesterday. That's probably an age thing. Um, but that also we had, we had a, a more confident platform we had greater global penetration, we had a stronger balance sheet, and we, had, we knew how to reshape the business through the global, global financial crisis, because if we, we have to get the balance right between reshaping a business but not dismantling a business. 
dismantling a business, we can't respond when our clients want us. Reshaping a business makes us agile and fit for purpose. Look now, almost 12 months ago, it became clear when it got to February and into March and, and the prospect of closing the UK economy very difficult to grasp. And we had management meetings. We set up a group council, which met every week, which were the heads of our businesses from all around the world. We set up a business response board, which was designed to track what was happening in the economy into our business so we could make decisions quickly as to what we needed to do. And those two groups, along with the group executive board, which I chair, were, were, the, were the three areas that I used to help inform me and help collaborate with colleagues in order to do the best we could as we went into the pandemic. And our financial year was the end of March. So our number one priority was to focus upon getting the financial year done. And then we used that period in parallel to work out what we were going to do to get the business through the following period, again, conserving our reserves as best we could, not disrupting the infrastructure of the business so we were ready to respond. And we went into lockdown. There were some enormous challenges. The residential and commercial trading markets pretty much closed, but we still had to value property. We still had to secure it. We still had to manage shopping centres, even though they were empty. They've still got to be looked after. We had to look after office buildings and manage blocks of flats. Um, so there was still a great deal for us to think about. On the one hand, trading stopped. On the other hand, all of our responsibilities in the consultancy side uh, continued. We, we, we furloughed a lot of people to start with simply because we did not know. You know, They were estate agents and surveyors who are used to doing transactions, not able to engage with their markets. So we thought, um, without the benefit of hindsight at this stage, of course, we should furlough those people who were sitting at home doing nothing, which we did. And we furloughed about a third of our headcount in the UK. Um, a, a complex communication process for a people business, actually, because what message are you giving them and how would they interpret it when none of us knew any of the answers? And, 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 and gradually we settled into that new world and then gradually things began to reopen. So it wasn't too long it was about the middle of may that we got signals from government that the housing market and the transactional side of the commercial markets could begin to reopen because we were allowed to do building inspections whole host of protocols in place and and if i'm honest since then you know we've known how to deal with a complete lockdown and we've known how to deal with modest engagement with our markets and we've adapted things accordingly and everybody in the business has responded phenomenally well I would just point out one thing and then I'll stop and we can move on to other questions. Just um, for anybody, everybody listening to bear in mind that real estate has never been a more dynamic industry. Uh, real estate has never been more exciting, in my view. When I started, it was retail, uh, it was industrial, it was offices, and then there was residential off to, off to the side. It was sort of a different business for everybody. Now it's integrated. Uh, now it includes student accommodation. It includes hospitals. It includes surgeries. It includes retirement living. It includes data centers. It includes hotels and hospitality. And it includes mixed-use development. So, so it, everybody wanted offices to be separated from retail, to be separated from residential. And, that, and now the industry has, has moved on. So I think there's a great deal more for us to think about in a crisis than what's going to happen to an office building or what's going to happen to a shop. They are going through restructuring and recycling, but other things are taking their place. So 
at the cost of the high street and shopping centres, we've obviously got a huge boom uh, accelerated several fold by the last 12 months as a consequence of the lockdown in, in distribution and logistics. It's, it's very interesting how, how you touched on kind of how the crisis already prepared you for, for this one. Um, I was going to, to ask you about that, but I, I think your, your answer covered it quite well, but um, not to bring back bad memories, but could you describe what, what kind of went through your head when you saw the headline saying that Northern Rock had, had collapsed, um, which I know was pretty big in kind of the property market? Do you know, do you know what, other, other than it being an enormous shock and something that I hadn't experienced in my working life, to know what the consequences were likely to be, I don't remember being something that went through my mind. All I remember going through my mind was, what do we need to, our, to do to our business to mitigate risk, but ensure that we are ready to serve our clients who either need engagement because they've got a crisis on their hands, or, or will want re-engagement when their confidence returns. And it was, it was very similar going into this. You know, everyone says two things, no two crises are the same, uh, and, and rather glibly um, or gloomily, perhaps never waste a good crisis. Um, but, and I think, I think the, 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 the main advantage is a horrible word to use following a crisis or in a crisis, but the main advantage of a crisis is it reminds you, one, never to take anything for granted. And two, how important it is to be in control of your business environment. You know, if, if, if we had enormous debt and the banks were in control, um, um, then we would have to respond in a completely different way than the one we've responded. Yeah, it's, it's also very interesting to hear how you speak about that unlimited liability structure that kind of gives you the, I guess, correct incentive, so to speak, is, is the word they like to use to kind of shore up your balance sheet, not use debt, um, which kind of the banks didn't do when they were allowed to become limited liability, uh, I think, back, back in the 1980s. And, 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 and I should just be clear that we are a limited liability partnership, okay. but, but it is only the partners, uh, as, as most partnerships are, are now, but, but, but it is nonetheless us that, that, that sort of carry the can and the consequences of any failings in the business. Mm -hmm. There's nowhere else to go. Okay. Maybe if we draw a parallelism back to, to the crisis, um, I think there were some articles coming out at the beginning in May that there was a, kind of an underlying issue in the commercial mortgage-backed uh, security market in terms of kind of default rates. Um, and since, uh, like you said, all the shopping malls were closed. Um, so I'm not sure uh, how tied in the business of Knight Frank is to those kind of derivative securities based on mortgages, but um, kind of, how was the reaction to, to that market, um, um, to the uh, pandemic? Uh, I assume that it was greatly negative, but do you think that it was more resilient this time due to kind of a, uh, it not being an underlying issue with the creditworthiness of, of the borrowers? Uh, uh, it's not my area and, and it's not an area where Knight Frank have a direct financial concern. Um, but of course, the, 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 the uh, borrowing to value ratio uh, and the structured borrowing is, is a key driver of real estate. I think the two fundamental differences from the global financial crisis, well, the first one is that interest rates are still at an incredibly low rate, even, even in the more aggressive financing structures, they're relatively competitive. Um, uh, 
secondly is this is not a financial crisis. Uh, it's a much broader economic crisis. Um, and as a consequence, I think everybody is doing their bit to try and get through the difficult period. There will be businesses that fail. There have been businesses that fail. And as a consequence, rents will not be paid. And as a consequence, it will be very difficult for certain uh, borrowers to, to um, repay their lenders. Um, there, there's not yet been any structural volume that, that is of concern, but I'm sure over the course of the next year or two, there will be an increasing number of insolvencies which, which put pressure on uh, debt and as a consequence um, some of those assets become become distressed. Um, the, the one thing I would say, and it's and it's extraordinary phenomenon of this cycle, is there is a there is a significant weight of investment capital in the world looking for a return, looking for yield, and that gives some comfort that where there are crises, whether they're around individual assets or portfolios. There is probably somebody there who's looking to take advantage of that situation and 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 relieve one um, uh, borrower or lender um, by replacing them with another on different terms. Um, probably not a very adequate answer, but there is no sign at the moment um, of, of a significant um, problem of scale um in in the um mortgage market and commercial debt well um thank you so much for for joining just uh, before uh, we we leave each other um i think as a final question it'd be great um, for the lse students listening to the episode to to hear um, if you had any advice about uh, starting your career um, and entering the workplace well uh, i mean look I think there's there's it's very competitive, but also there's a lot more choice. And I, I, as an employer and as somebody who sees a lot of graduates, the one thing that is still relatively scarce are people who are really, really enthusiastic about what they want to do. Uh, and all I would encourage you to do is to find something you want to do and be really enthusiastic about it, because I think that would strike a massive chord with your future employers or, or, or partners. And, and please don't discount real estate. Um, re real estate, as I said, it has got a broad arena. I'm not talking about just Knight Frank, I'm talking about a sector that, that the financial markets behind real estate, um, the advisory markets and the transactional markets of real estate are much, much broader than they were when I started and, and, and offer a huge scope of diversity of interests um, here and, and around the world. As I say, the sectors are now, are now much broader. And, and, and finally, you know, stuff you're all much better at than I was when I was 21 or in my early 20s, and that is build, build a network. Um, you've probably already got them, but I didn't start with one. Uh, and I, I think learning from other people's experiences has never been more valuable. And um, even if you spent the last 12 months or so on Zooms and Teams like I have, get out there and meet people as, as soon as you possibly can again. And uh, uh, very best wishes with your, with your studying and the first steps of your careers.
Thank you so much.